welcome to Calvary Chapel of Chapel Hill. Uh, if this is your first time with us, happy to have you join us. And yes, Paul is committed to doing that Shakespeare monologue uh, at the talent show. So you didn't bring that up, bud, but I, I got your back. Um, just want to say the women had a beautiful, blessed time uh, yesterday with the ladies' retreat and just praising God for the way he guided all of that and for my precious, beloved bride, um, all that she did. So just thanking the Lord for that. Uh, please keep in prayer, Pastor David and Michelle. They are at CC Jacksonville today. Pastor David's preaching there uh, while the senior pastor there, Ricky Rueda, is uh, just having a little break with his family. So please keep them in prayer and pray for their travel mercies when they uh, head back here. So let's open up with a word of prayer right now. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day, Lord, and thank you for this time that we are able to gather and come together, Lord, and we do pray for Pastor David as he's preaching uh, in Jacksonville, Lord, be with him. Heavenly Father, be with the people of that fellowship, Lord, and I pray that you give Ricky um, and his family just a blessed time of restoration and respite. It's been a very busy season, Lord, and Heavenly Father, I just uh, pray for Pastor David and Michelle's travel mercies coming back home also, Heavenly Father, please, and Lord, we thank you for this morning where we're going to be able to focus and um, reflect upon one of our ministry partners, Elam. And I just pray that you are with Joe, Holy Spirit, fill, lead, and guide him to share and just let us know what is going on with your people. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Now, we are taking a little break from John this morning, friends. Uh, but in that, I do actually want to just read a few verses from John that we've already been in before um, Joe comes up here. So I'm going to be in chapter 4. And we've looked at this. We've gone through this walk with the Samaritan woman at the well. And this is afterwards. And I'm going to start in verse 34. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say... There are still four months, and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and have entered into their labors. As we get ready to hear from Joe about Elam, I want us to just be thinking about the food that Jesus talks about in this. And the food, when we looked at this, we're reminded the food that satiates him is doing God's work, is being at the center of God's will. Um, and I don't know how much Joe will share about his own story, but we were able to get together last night and to hear the journey for him in his life of prayer and being surrendered to being at the center of God's will each and every single step and how that led to doing God's work with Elam. And I just encourage us as we're listening to this to be thinking about, Lord, you know, be discerning, be, be, be attentive. Is there anything that you want me doing, Lord? Is there any conviction you're laying on my heart in obedience to do the work that you've called me to do? And remember, they, disciples in this encounter are fascinated because this is an unlikely encounter. We've seen that. It's a Samaritan woman and the Jewish people coming together. What are we looking at here? And when we think about the Muslim community, we can think, will they really come to faith? Is there hope? There is. We know hope, Jesus Christ. And we need to go forth with the gospel. We need to go forth sharing. And the beautiful thing to remember in verse uh, 37, for in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. 
Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. We get to co-labor with all who come before us in doing the work of sharing the gospel. We get to co-labor, and this little church in Chapel Hill gets to have its arms reached out around the globe, and we get to reach out to Iran and wait until you hear what's going on there in the region and how it's also reaching the Afghan community. We get to take part in the labor that's already been done. But to do that, we need to be faithful. So I just encourage you, saints, be faithful to whatever the Lord lays on your heart or is ministering to you with a strong conviction to engage in for his glory. Because ultimately, it is all about one thing, Jesus, and all about people coming to know him, salvation. That's the most important thing any human being can have because it's eternal, eternal salvation with him forever. So this morning, we have Joe Connor with us from Elam Ministries, and he hails from Manchester, England, and made his way to the U.S. attending Lee University on a soccer scholarship. Um, We got a center midfield forward and back that he, he would play there. And so in that time at Lee University, he fell in love with Jesus, came to know the Lord, met his bride, Macy. They have three beautiful children, Miriam, who's 14, Eliana, who's 11, and Judah, who's nine years old. He played professional soccer in the U.S. and U.K. for nine years. And he was a friend of Elam for just about two decades before they had him join their staff in 2017. And when he joined the staff, they made the move to Atlanta, Georgia, and they're able to be close to family with that move, and he loves serving the Iranian church, and he loves being able to do what he's going to do today, which is come and share with us what's going on there so we can get excited about that and activated. And for all of our podcast folks, in 2022, he helped start a part, uh, podcast, Jesus Speaks Farsi. Um, He's one of the co-hosts of that, and it's interviewing Iranian Christians and others connected to Iran's church. So check that out also. But without further ado, excited for us to give a Calvary Chapel, Chapel Hill. Welcome to Joe Connor. Okay, there we go. Thank you. What a nice introduction. Uh, With that introduction, I'm just going to jump straight into what I've got to share this morning. Okay, nice to see everybody. I heard a story, uh, it's probably a couple of months ago now, so it's a pretty fresh story, about a lady inside Iran. We'll call her Sohaila. She came on some of our training and she went back into Iran. And she works a regular job, and one day she was going out to work, and she took out three New Testaments with her. This is a Farsi New Testament. And uh, these are illegal in Iran. You get caught with these, you're in trouble. And she went out to work, and she gets a taxi to work. And she got in the taxi, and the taxi driver, she said he looked like he'd been on drugs. She asked him, and he'd he'd just had a really hard night, he'd been driving all night. He picked her up in the morning. He was having some trouble at work anyway. He opened up a little bit, this exhausted taxi driver. And so so Sohaila said, this is an opportunity for me to share the gospel. So she shared the gospel with the taxi driver. At the end of the trip, she got to work and she said, I would love to give you a gift. And she pulled out one of the New Testaments and she gave it to the taxi driver and went to hand him the fare for the taxi. And the taxi driver said, Please, 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 I can't take any money off you. You have given me the greatest gift I could ever receive today. Took the the New Testament, so Hela goes to work. 
At the end of the day, she gets in another taxi to go home, and a, a, another lady gets in the taxi. In Iran, this happens. They share taxis with each other. And this other lady get into, got into the taxi. And imagine, this is Iran, so the, the, the females are covered. They have to wear their headscarves and all that kind of stuff. And this woman that got into the taxi with Sohaila had been crying. She could see that she'd been crying. And so Sohaila said, oh, another opportunity. So she, she started to share the gospel, and she gave the lady a New Testament and the lady left the taxi and the taxi driver went to take Sohaila home he said well are you not going to keep telling me about Jesus I want to know more about Jesus and so Sohaila was able to share the gospel more with this another taxi driver and she had one more New Testament left and she said I would love to give you a gift and she gave him the New Testament along with the fare and the taxi driver said I can't take any money off you today because you have given me the greatest gift I could ever receive. So a regular lady going to work with three New Testaments had a great day of evangelizing and got two free taxi rides in the day as well. So that is one story of many stories just like that I hear all the time. In a country where the Bible is illegal, Converting to Christianity can get you put in prison and persecution is very, very real. And what I love about this story and getting to share the story of Iran's church with people just like yourselves is that sometimes in America and in England, we forget the gospel is really good news. It's really really good news. And in a country like Iran, religion is everywhere. You hear the call to prayer five times a day. Children have to say their prayers when they go to school. God and religion is everywhere. It's in the government. Yet people have never heard that God loves them. Women are second-class citizens in Iran. They've never heard that they're made in the image of God. They've never heard of complete forgiveness and grace. And when they hear this, Their hearts are transformed. And I want to tell you, the same good news that is changing lives in Iran is the same good news here in America. People are desperate to hear this good news. There's so much bad news, right, on the the TV, on social media. Um, So that's the first story. What I'm going to do this morning is just tell a couple of stories. Hopefully they'll encourage you. But I want to start by saying thank you to Calvary Chapel, Chapel Hill, um, and those of you in the room who partner with Elam Ministry. We are so, so grateful for your partnership, and by God's grace, we are seeing more Muslims come to Christ than ever before. If you could just pop up the next slide, please. Elam's mission, so I want to start by saying this is God's story. This is not Elam's story, but we do play our role, and I just want to share a little bit about what we do, and we'll get back to the amazing work God is doing. So Elam's mission is to strengthen and expand the church in the Iran region and beyond. We do this in three major ways. We train, we equip, and we send. We train national leaders. All the people we train are Iranian or Afghan believers. We equip them. That means we give them Bibles like this. We distribute hundreds of thousands of scriptures all over the Iran region each year. New Testaments, full Bibles, and, uh, and we send them. We send them to plant house churches. So we train leaders, we distribute the scriptures, and we send these leaders to plant house churches. House churches are popping up all over Iran 
all the time and it's very, very exciting. But like I said, this is not Elam's story. This is God's story. He's writing this beautiful story in Iran in a place where people thought that Jesus, you know, couldn't build his church. Maybe you've seen Iran on the news. Maybe you've seen protests, the women that are oppressed and they're shouting out for freedom, love and all this kind of stuff. They are desperate for the truth. They have been oppressed by an Islamic government for a very long time. So Jesus is building his church. Uh, you can take that screen down, please. Jesus is building his church and we're trying to keep up with it. This is God's story. This is not Elam's story, but it wasn't always like this. The church in Iran wasn't always flourishing the way it is. In 19, I'll give you a quick history. In 1979, anybody around in 1979? Yes, I was not. I was not. A little bit after I came around. Okay, 1979, you might remember the Islamic Revolution, okay? Pretty much what happened, Iran was a free country, there were missionaries, Christianity was allowed, Bibles were distributed. Overnight, the Islamic Revolution happened, Iran became the Islamic Republic of Iran, missionaries were kicked out, Bibles were banned, some churches were closed down, Sharia law was enforced on the people of the country, and people thought, what's going to happen to the church? It was already a very small church, and people thought that must be it. In the 90s, persecution got very intense. For the church leaders that were left, many of them were martyred and killed for their faith. But in 1990, Elam started. Two Iranian men, their mission was to train leaders and, and, and translate the Bible into modern-day Farsi. We finished this translation of the New Testament in 2003. We have gone on to finish the whole Bible. We finished that in 2014. But in 2003, this Bible was finished. We believe at that time that there was about 4,000 Christians from a Muslim background in Iran. Okay, 4,000 Christians, and, uh, and we started to distribute the New Testament. From 2003 to 2023, the most conservative estimates say there's about a million Christians in Iran from a Muslim background. I have friends, a lot of my friends who work inside Iran, and, and the region say, oh, it's more like two or three million. But we always give conservative estimates because we really don't know the extent of the church growth. But what we do know, it is growing very, very fast. So we are seeing a harvest like you just read. Then, Vince, we are reaping a harvest that... But I am seeing a harvest that I definitely didn't sow. And we are seeing a harvest because of the faithful obedience of men and women that went before us. There were men and women uh, plowing the ground, sowing the fields, and saw no, no fruit, right? Jesus is always doing stuff, but sometimes we associate people coming to Christ, churches growing with fruit. Their faithful obedience in a season where there wasn't a harvest allows us to reap a harvest. So with that in mind, I just want to throw it out there, a little question for you. What does faithful obedience look like in the season of life that you're in? So probably not called to go to Iran, but you are in a season of life, whatever that may be, what is God asking you to do? What does faithful obedience look like? Um, so, 
What does the Church of Iran have to do with you in North Carolina, Raleigh, North Carolina? We want you to pray for the church in Iran. Sure, we want you to partner if that's what you want to do. But what I'm super excited about this morning is that I come to bring stories to you that I pray will stir your imagination to what's possible with Jesus. The same Jesus alive in Iran that is doing all this amazing stuff is the same Jesus alive in you. I pray that some, I've got, I've got a couple more stories. I pray that these stories would like cause a, um, a holy jealousy to rise up inside of you. I love America. I became a Christian in America. I was discipled in America. I am so grateful for the church in America. And I look around and I want to encourage and inspire the church in America. Jesus is alive in you. What does faithful obedience look like? Um, I want us to read Romans 12, 1 through 2. I know this is a verse that, um, I think it's a verse that you kind of have as one of the pillars of your church. So we're just going to read it. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing and perfect will. So, giving your bodies as a living sacrifice, having your minds renewed. Before we go any further, I just want to take the first sentence and I want to just camp out there for a little bit. In view of God's mercy. So, if you've grown up in church or you've been around church for a long time, we want to do the right thing, right? We want to give our bodies as a living sacrifice. We want to have our minds renewed. And sometimes we do it because we're doing the right thing, which is great. It's good to do the right thing. But in view of God's mercy, what I see in the Iranian church is brave men and women doing incredible things because they have really seen and tasted God's mercy. And so my hope for you is that you would truly view, truly see on a deeper level just how great our God is. He really, really loves you. Like he is so desperately in love with you. And his holiness and his glory and his grace, when we experience that and we know that a little bit deeper each day, that's what has to drive us to give our bodies as a living sacrifice. Because if we do it any other way, it can become religion and burdensome, even if we're doing the right thing. So I pray that you would view God's mercy this morning. Okay, so many of you might have liked Sohala's story about the three New Testaments. I shared that story with my wife, Macy. Uh, when I first heard it just a couple of months ago. And she was really honest with me. She said, that story doesn't really encourage me or make me feel good. I was like, why? And she said, because I don't think I can give out three New Testaments like that. I try to share my faith with people and I just feel stupid and sometimes I get it wrong and it doesn't work. 
So maybe some of you are really encouraged by Sohela's story and you want to go out and give New Testaments and you want to share the gospel. That is absolutely fantastic. Go for it. But others of you feel uncomfortable with that. Or, you know, maybe God can't use me to do stuff like that. But that is not the only way to share the love of Jesus. You all are given different gifts and different abilities and different personalities. And not all of us are going to be evangelists in the street like that, giving out New Testaments. But we are called to love and bring the kingdom of God in the environment that we live in, whether it's work, family, or your hobbies or whatever you do. So what we did about five years ago, just leave that picture off, uh, bring the picture off up at the end. About, yeah, put it down, bring it up at the end. Um, it's a good picture, but I want to tell you the story first. So about five years ago, we started a, a soccer academy. I might get soccer and football mixed up because in England we call it football because it's football. Um, I do like American football. I'm just playing with you. I, do, I really do like American football. But we started a football academy. Pretty much what we did in the Middle East through the local churches, we trained leaders. The vast majority of them are just volunteers. People like you who just volunteer at church and they said, I want to learn how to do soccer ministry so I can reach young people. Because there are many people who would never step into a church, but they will go to a soccer field. Okay, so we started this soccer ministry about five years ago. By God's grace, it has grown exponentially. There are thousands of young people that have come through it. Entire families have come to church. The crazy thing is we were doing it for the Iranian people. We, we started it with refugees in the surrounding countries. It's now in Iran and Afghanistan. About over 90% of our players, both boys and girls, are Afghan people. I have seen so many Afghan people come to churches and give their hearts to Jesus in the last couple of years. And I don't even have to do much. I got a message this morning from one of my friends in the Iran region, and he said another person just gave his heart to Christ in this church. And then he showed me a video of two teenage boys leading worship who weren't Christians until they started coming to the soccer academy. And now they're leading others in worship. Okay, so this beautiful move is happening. You might not want to go out and give New Testaments. Maybe you could be a soccer coach. But whenever I say soccer ministry, you can replace soccer with anything. Could be book club. Could be cooking club. Could be going to the gym. Wherever there is a place to build relationships, that is how we can do ministry, right? So anyway, I was in the Iran region. This story is a little bit older. It's maybe five months old. Four or five months ago, I was in the Iran region. And I was sat with a pastor, and he was telling me about how great this soccer academy was. He said, I want to tell you about Farze. Farze is a 14-year-old Afghan girl. Her and her family left Afghanistan and came to this country uh, because the Taliban took back over. So they left as refugees. And she wears a very, very tight hijab, a headscarf that's very tight. It just shows that she comes from quite a religious family. But she would come to the football soccer academy, and she came week after week. For about a year and a half, she was coming to this football academy, and she built a friendship with the coaches, and she was just happy there. She was safe there. She found friendships there. She found community there. And then this happened about four to five months ago. The coach said to her, remember, the coach is just a volunteer. He's a regular person that works a regular job, and he volunteers by coaching twice a week in the evenings. And he said, Farze, why don't you read the New Testament? 
And she said, I can't read that book. I'm not allowed to read that book. My sister reads the Quran. My older sister reads the Quran to us every night. She's the only one who's allowed to read the books like that. So she took it and she said, I'll see if my sister wants to read it. So she took it home. She came back to practice. Let me just get a little drink here. She came back to practice two weeks later and she wasn't wearing a headscarf. The coach had never seen her without a headscarf on. He said, Fazi, where's your headscarf? 14-year-old girl, I've been reading that book. My sister's been reading that book to me. And it talks about a God of love. And I can't follow the God of this book anymore, talking about the Quran, because this is a God of love. And a week or two later, I was in that city with Farze, I spoke in the church. I gave a very simple message about God's love. I honestly, I'm not exaggerating, I could see her eyes sparkling whenever I talked about the God of love. So if we show this picture, that's Farze on the left there. And if you can see, I'm the tallest one. <laughs> and Farze is next to me without a headscarf on. This is happening to many many people all over the Iran region. What I love about this story is Farze read the New Testament with her sister. Both her and her sister uh, stopped doing any of their Islamic practices. They were actually kicked out of the house a few weeks later by their parents. And then uh, their parents allowed them back in to live with them. So that's what she's going through as a 14-year-old girl. Uh, she's attending church. But she is being transformed by the renewing of her mind. She's reading the word of God. She's reading about a God of love. And her mind is being renewed. Taking off a head... You can take that picture down. Taking off a headscarf like Farze is a physical act that we can see of someone stepping into a new level of freedom. And this is happening all over the Iran region. If you want to wear a headscarf, that is great. I think sometimes they look beautiful on women. But in that part of the world, is it, in, is, it is enforced on them. It is a sign of religious oppression that men put on women. Okay? So I have no problem with people who choose to wear headscarves. It can be beautiful. I'm sure there's many women in the Bible that wore headscarves. But in that part of the world, it is an Islamic oppressive thing to women. And when we see women come to the Lord, we see levels of freedom that are so beautiful, just like Farze. Okay, so we see this physical act of stepping into a new level of freedom. But I felt this last night, and I really felt it during the worship. There are things in our own lives that we cannot see, that we are slaves to whether it's sin, whether it's lifestyle choices, whether it's the way we think. And I really believe that this morning the Lord wants you to step in a new level of freedom. So like Farze took off a headscarf, I just want to pray for like a minute that if there is anything in your life that the Lord would just set you free from it. And it's not because he's ashamed of you. He's not ashamed of your sin. He knows about it. He just loves you desperately. He doesn't want Farze to walk around oppressed wearing a headscarf. And he doesn't want you guys walking around oppressed with anything going on in your own life. So Jesus, you are healer. You are, 
you set us free. You came to set us free. We, we talk about Christmas. We're getting ready for the Christmas season. But you came to set us free. And so I just pray for my brothers and sisters in this room. If there is anything that is keeping them a slave, that they would just bring it to your cross and you would set them free. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If, uh, if the Holy Spirit spoke to any of you then, it would maybe be good for you to share it with another person in the church that you trust. So, the next part of that, Romans 12, uh, we talked about the renewing of our mind. We talked about viewing God's mercy, but we also hear about giving your bodies as a living sacrifice. The church in Iran suffers persecution. It does. Just this week, I've been in meetings and uh, I've been hearing about people who have been arrested just this week for their faith. I have a friend, well, I, I, I know a guy, I met him about five years ago. I met him in a neighboring country to Iran. He, he, became a, he left Iran as a refugee, he became a Christian, he went through some of our training, our discipleship, I was with him for a day, and he was just alive in Christ. Anyway, a few years ago, he was, he was sharing the gospel with his family back in Iran. It's called Farshad. And, and his dad said to him, Farshad, you can be a Christian. You're going to Europe. You're going to the West. But we live in Iran. We can't become Christians because we live in Iran. It's different for us. Farshad, his wife Malihe, and their two-year-old daughter was convicted. He said, I'm going back to Iran to share the gospel with my family. And so he gave up his asylum status and he went back to Iran. This is about th- three, two or three years ago shared his faith with his parents. They became Christians. A long story, miracle after miracle, amazing things happened. He led his family to the Lord, started house churches. He was distributing the scriptures. At the end of last year, 2022, he was arrested. He spent about three months in prison. During that time in prison, he led a handful of prisoners to the Lord. And they said, Farshad, when you get out of prison, we need you to go and tell our families about the gospel that you've told us. Him and his wife went and told the gospel to their family members. About a month ago, he was arrested again and he was put in prison for two weeks. I'm about to show you a video. Um, He called his wife from uh, Evin Prison in Tehran. Called his wife and his wife recorded the voice conversation. So you're going to see a video. It's going to have um, words so you can, you can listen in and, and read what Farshad said to his wife from prison in Iran.
So you can hear from Farshad's voice the excitement that he has. It's, it's not always that easy. Some people go through very hard suffering and it leaves them broken and they need a lot of healing. It's, it's not easy. I can tell you all these great stories, but when you live this life every day, these people really are giving their bodies as a living sacrifice. I want to pause for a second because I don't want you for a second to feel bad about being a Christian in America. So many times I have people come up to me and go, oh, we just don't know suffering like they do and, and we just need to be stronger Christians. And I get that, I get that. But there is suffering in this nation just as bad as suffering in Iran for your faith. It just looks different. So if you're going through suffering or hardship, please don't downplay it because you've just heard of a Christian go into prison. Jesus is with you in your suffering, just like he's with Farshad in prison. But one of these things that is beautiful about the Iranian church, which we have to intentionally do, we have to really think about it if we're going to do this, but Iranian men and women, because of persecution, because of the risk of going to prison, they are forced to ask themselves the question, is Jesus worth it? Every day. They have to say, is Jesus worth it? And every day, Iranian Christians say yes. And so I don't know what you're going through in your life. Some of you might be in a great season. Some of you might be in a hard season. Jesus is worth it. Being obedient to Jesus is worth it. And that's one of the things that inspires me. One, one, so... Christians are giving their bodies as a living sacrifice. Christians are having their minds renewed because they have viewed and seen that Jesus is alive. Jesus is really alive. Um, it's not just like we're Christians so we have to go and get everyone saved. I, I, I come from a family where um, I was the first one to follow Jesus in my family. And a lot of them have got this like bad taste in their mouth of religion, which is understandable. Religion's done some pretty, pretty bad things in history. And they, they're like, why? They get mad. why do you go around doing this? Why can't you just leave them to do their own thing? Why, why do you have to tell them and try and convert them to Christianity? Here's the thing, like... We're not trying to like trick people into following Jesus, but everybody should have the opportunity to hear. Everybody should have the opportunity to hear. But this is the beautiful thing, right? I'm not just trying to get people saved and feel good about ourselves and hand out Bibles and feel good about ourselves. When people, and we see this every day in the Iranian church, when people encounter Jesus, it transforms them. Husbands no longer beat their wives. People find a new level of Forgiveness and freedom, like Farze, she took off her headscarf. People love each other and care for one another. I've got friends who have entire ministries to people who are the, you know, the lowest of the low, the homeless, the drug addicted, 
people, when people encounter Jesus, the kingdom of God comes alive in them. So I don't just want to get people saved because that's what we're supposed to do. It Following Jesus brings life. In him is life. In him is life. Um, so I'm going to close. The church in Iran is one of the fastest growing churches in the world. It's quite incredible. Um, and there's a few reasons for that. I'm going to share you some of them. Many people are disillusioned with Islam. In Iran and Afghanistan, they're disillusioned with Islam, they're disillusioned with their government, so their hearts are open right now. Even though this book is illegal, it is the most sought-after book in Iran. So you've got a government that you don't like, and they go on national TV and say, don't read this book. Everybody goes, I want to read that book. <laughs> okay? That's how it works. It's beautiful. Um, brave men and women are saying yes to Jesus every day. They're going out sharing their faith every day with friends, with families, with strangers like, uh, like in, in the taxi. But if you only remember one thing from this morning, this is, this is what I want you to rem remember. The church in Iran and Afghanistan is growing so fast because Jesus is alive. That's it. Jesus is alive and revealing himself to people through his word, through his church, in dreams and visions. I have friends that went to bed as Muslims and they woke up as Christians because they saw the man in white. I've, I've heard so many stories like that. He is very real. He is very, very real. He is alive in Iran. He is alive in you. There is a whole group of people in Raleigh, North Carolina that are desperate to hear about the love of Jesus. Not religion, not politics, but this living Jesus. They so desire grace and forgiveness and truth. And the answer lives in you. It really, really lives in you. Okay, so next slide. What's the next slide? We've got a podcast. If you want to listen to the podcast, instead of hearing stories from me, you can hear stories from the men and women themselves who are building the church in Iran. They can speak English so you can understand it. I chose to interview some of my friends who can speak English. This is the last story. The first episode on this podcast is with a man called Farshid. He spent five years in prison for his faith. He was in solitary confinement for about a year by himself. He went into the regular prison. And uh, one day, he, he, you know, he'd, been, he, he'd been in prison for a while. He was helping people come to Christ. He baptized people in the showers. People knew him as the Christian guy. One day, he was, he was walking, and all of a sudden, it was him and the, the kind of boss of the prison, like the, 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 the criminal. He was a prisoner as well. He was the big guy. Everybody was scared of him. He was a really intense criminal. He was the guy that ran the show in the prison. So it's kind of like a movie scene. Here's Farshid, this beautiful Christian man, and this big, scary Iranian criminal who runs the prison, corners him. And Farshid is like, he's towering over him. So Farshid is like, oh, this might be the time I go see Jesus. <laughs> and the man says to him, corner, Farshid's got his back against the wall. He points at him and he says, yours is alive, ours is dead. Yours is alive, ours is dead. Tell me about your God.
So, the gospel is good news. You can do the next slide. The gospel is good news. Jesus is alive. I am so grateful on behalf of the Iranian church. I say thank you for your partnership and for your prayers. But more than anything, I pray that these stories would encourage you that Jesus is alive right here and in you. And the gospel is really good news. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Um, I hope that, again, really think about all the words that were said this morning and just be in, in prayer and remember Jesus is alive. And, and remember to commune with the Holy Spirit who dwells within you. Be in the word of God and prayerfully discern, Father, what wilt thou have me do? What do you need me to do? What do I do for your glory to serve you and whatnot? Joe, thank you so much, sir. This is for you from our church for um, all the work, and we're going to continue partnering with Elam. It is truly a blessing to get to have a hand in that, and I'd like us to just close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we... Thank you, Lord God, for the testimonies and reminders of what you are doing, Lord God. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your power and your mighty strength, Lord God. And thank you for the power of the living word of God. Thank you, Lord God, for how you minister and reach those who you need to know you, to commune with you, to be with you, Lord. And we thank you for every single soul that has come to know you through the Iranian church, Lord, and the Afghans coming to know you through this work, Lord God, that they are doing, Heavenly Father. And we just pray you continue to do it, Lord God. In the midst of everything going on, I pray, Lord, that you allow us to be a people so steadfast in prayer for what you're doing around the world, Lord. For it's all work for your kingdom for eternity, and we'll all rejoice and be with you in eternity, Lord God. But may every name and soul that needs to be in the book of life be written, Lord, for your glory, Heavenly Father. And Lord, I pray for this church. I pray, Lord, that we continue to be your hands and feet here in Chapel Hill and in this area and in the triangle, Lord, and that we would also extend our arms continually to things like we are doing, Lord, in India and Iran and just continuing to serve you, Lord God, to serve our brothers and sisters abroad, Lord God. And Heavenly Father, I pray that this week ahead you would stir each and every single one of our hearts to pray for the Iranian church, Lord and to continue to lift them up, Heavenly Father. And Lord, as we, we gather, we do always, Lord, each time we gather, we lift Israel up to you, Heavenly Father. We pray for salvation, Lord. We pray for salvation on both sides of everything going on there, Lord. We pray for that region of the world, Lord, that you continue the work that you're doing, that people come to know you, Lord. And we thank you for Joe, Lord. Thank you for the words that he shared this morning, Heavenly Father. Thank you for the strength, Holy Spirit, you gave him with traveling back from England and heading to Alabama after the Lord, just pray for travel mercies, continued strength, and such a sweet reunion with his family. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Have a great day.